Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast on this episode. It's all CFL. We talked with Derek Taylor, voice of the Bombers, Morley Scott, voice of the Elks, for Friday's preseason game between the Bombers and the Elks. All of it coming your way on the podcast. We're still waiting to find out if the CFL and the CFLPA will actually have an approved deal. We do have uh, a deal that's been tentatively agreed to. And now we welcome in Derek Taylor for Stars Air Ambulance, caring for Manitobans when and where you need us most. And Derek, what a roller coaster week we've had. We weren't sure if we're going to have a game. It looks like we're probably going to, but we can't say for sure yet. No, we're waiting for, oh, it's uh, what, 26 minutes away, I guess was the time. They said 9 Eastern, so 8 o'clock our time as to when the vote should be counted by. Um, I I kind of don't know how to feel, so I've just been plowing ahead with 80-person uh, depth charts uh, and seeing the weird things the Elks have done with their depth chart in advance of tomorrow's game. Like what? Uh, so their first-round pick from last year, fifth overall, was a defensive end named Cole Nelson. Uh, they now list him as a guard. So uh, I don't know whether that's a thing or they're just playing with us. And then they drafted in the second round of the supplemental draft, they drafted a defensive lineman out of the University of Calgary named Jamin Pelly, uh, defensive tackle, but they list him as left guard for this game. So I don't know if if they've decided these guys would be better on the offensive line or or they're just I – mean, they've given them numbers in the 50s, so they I, – I, I just don't understand. I did not expect to see that. I'm kind of frazzled as really, this early you're taking Canadian defensive tackles and ends and making them defensive li- or offensive linemen. All right, let's see. Maybe it's just Chris Jones doing Chris Jones things to mess with you. I don't know. What? Because and people will always point to when you look like at the CFL. Well, Jones will find players out of anywhere. Deron Carter became a defensive back. AC Leonard was a slot back, and they made him a a defensive end and Wally Buono always knew how to get rid of guys the year before they were uh, the year before they were done. Uh, uh, there must be some sort of method to this madness if this is for real, but uh, a second round pick on a defensive uh, stud defensive tackle that you then immediately flip like in training camp. All right, let's I, I'm now even more curious for what's going to happen for for this game tomorrow. Something to ask Morley Scott about when he joins me in an hour's time on the show here. Let's talk about the uh, Bombers angle of things because we get uh, position chart. We don't get depth charts for preseason because it's kind of unstructured in in some ways. And there's no cap on how many players can dress for a preseason game. So it kind of feels like a college football game out there where you've got, you know, 100 people dressed. What are you looking for tomorrow? Let's just go kind of uh, group by group here. So let's start with the offense. What are you looking to see? Uh, I, I'm curious to see, uh, I want to see Rasheed Bailey, who's going to be playing essentially a new spot. They're going to move him out to, in camp, he's been moved out to that wide receiver spot that Darvin Adams would have played the last few years. So uh, Bailey, I was just going back through his career and, you know, two years with the Bombers, he's, he's had the waggle on virtually every one of his targets in the Canadian Football League. So you get that, that eight, 10 yard run at the line and then you get the, you know, break on a guy. Uh, what happens with Bailey if uh, the cornerback comes up to press him? How will he be able to do with that? How will he adapt to a position where you generally don't get the waggle? That's that's kind of the, that's one of the things. Janarian Grant as a receiver will be neat to see, and then uh, I mean Demski and Wolitarski, we know those guys are going to be studs, so we're we're pretty safe on that front. Well, and they actually don't list you know uh, returners on the on this chart, so we we don't know yeah. how much Grant will actually be in the offense do we 
we we don't. I presume he's going to be. I mean, I presume he's going to be the slot back to that side. But uh, a lot of the guys that have been doing returning, it's a real good point by you. A lot of guys that have been doing the returning uh, are not on the depth chart for this game. So yeah, you wonder is it is it going to be Grant? Will it be Fillier number seventy one? Um, I, I feel like I've seen Greg McRae, the running back slash slot back, doing some of it. But uh, yeah, I'm curious to see where they do go with returners. But uh, yeah, Janarian Grant in in an offense. It, they're just you just feel like there are possibilities to that, right? And really good things could result if uh, if Grant is ready to contribute on offense as well. Just one minor, minor little thing. I, it, it feels like a preseason game when you've got receivers wearing numbers in the seventies, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Those are usually the guys where you go, okay, if you're still around when this is all done, that's really good on you. Because but when they give you a number in the seventies, you're yeah, uh, Watt Fillier and Keon Dixon. It, it wasn't looking good for you when we started handing out jersey, but uh, it will, it'll give us at least uh, something to do our mental exercises, Doug Brown and I, during the game call. Oh, 70. That's, uh, that's a receiver this time. Okay, yeah. Five quarterbacks listed on the position chart. We do know already from Zach Kolaris and Mike O'Shea that he's not going to play tomorrow. He is listed on the roster, uh, assuming mm-hmm. that we get a lot of Dakota Prukop tomorrow. Well, that's been the interesting thing the last couple of days at camp, and I, I didn't pay too much attention today. It was just a walkthrough. But in, in the previous couple of days at camp, uh, it was Zach Caleros one, but then Drew Brown was taking mm-hmm. reps second. So we'll see if that means anything. Coaches like to say, and Mike O'Shea has said it, it doesn't matter who is, who is up in what order mm-hmm. until it matters, right? If Drew Brown is the starter tomorrow, then it's that's – you know, we're going to assume something as fans, right? If it's if it's Dakota Prukop, a guy in his fifth year, you'd think, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. He's been around for a while. Why not? But yeah, I I fifty one percent expect to see Drew Brown be the first first quarterback out there. But uh, I mean, anything can happen. Also, Joe Mancuso uh, and Jackson Tachinski listed on the the quarterback depth chart. We talked about the Tachinski thing and the internship the quarterback internship program that the CFL is doing, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I, I like the thought of that, right? Just to, you take a quarterback and you put them in a camp and they don't get a ton of throws. Like Tachinsky doesn't get a ton of throws, but I mean, you get to be around the best quarterback that we have in the CFL and you get to be around. I mean, the things that Dakota Prukop has figured out in five years of football, uh, Tachinsky can take some of those back with him to the university of Manitoba. That would be, that would be incredible for a young guy like that. So I, I just love the thought of this program, and yeah, the more you can do, uh, the Four Rifles guys are still in camp too, right? So <laughs> those guys must just be having their their hair blown back by the stuff that they're learning. On special teams, Mark Leggio, Ali Mortada, still the, the two kickers on the roster here. I know the game means nothing, but for those two, I think this means quite a bit, doesn't it? I, I would think so, because, I mean, only one of them can kick at a time when the regular season rolls around, and there's at least a chance that, you know, Legio is going to have to punt again. We're, we're just still waiting for Tom Hackett, who the guy they took first in the expansion, pardon me, in the global draft. There's so many drafts nowadays, my goodness. Uh, first in the global draft, who came for rookie camp, but then went home when the strike started and has been at home as the, you know, the negotiation has re-upped. Uh, you know, they've talked to him. They, they expect that he will come back, but... Who, who knows, right? Who knows when you get back home and you get back into your work and stuff like that. Uh, it'd be great to have him up here, but if not, then that punting job is open. And, you know, both Leggio and Mortada have been punting at uh, 
at training camp. So someone's going to have to do it, and uh, someone's going to have to kick better than they did last season. I think all Bomber fans are, were on the uh, – we need a little better in this area. So we're going to hear from Willie Jefferson later on in the show, but in a preseason game, what can you read into line play, whether it's on the offensive side or the defensive side? What's uh, for guys like Jefferson? I'm not, you know, they're probably not going to go 100, percent but there's guys trying to make a team here that are going to give it everything they have. Yeah, guys like Cedric Wilcots, right, or LB Mack. Wilcots has been the first defensive end up to replace Jackson Jeffcoat, as Jeffcoat has had limited time at training camp. So for a guy like Wilcots, who was in camp last year and is looking to break the roster, this this could be a fantastic game for him. Or a game in which uh, if an LB Mack or an Alfred Green all you know just blew the doors off and, and really made you look, you go, okay, well, uh, you may not, may not be in the same position you were when we resumed practice. I think in the end, like you're going to see some spectacular plays. Somebody unexpected will make a spectacular play. But I feel like just from talking to coaches, they're going to be more concerned with, were you in the right position at the right time? Were you doing your assigned duty? Uh, because to a degree, you know, if, if the left tackle blows a tire, falls down, you run around him and kill the quarterback. Okay, well, we you got a sack, sure. But we, we as you know, professional coaches aren't going to put too much onto that because, oh, by the way, in the other four plays, you were out of position. So, yeah, it's, it's a real chance for guys because Willie – how many snaps is Willie going to take? Six to 12 and then, you know, get the rest of the day off. So, yeah, a real chance for what do they have? Ten defensive linemen on the roster to uh, to make their impact. 23. I was just counting. That's why I went silent. 23 defensive backs listed on this roster. How many of them are going to play tomorrow? Um. Man, Rose Nichols, Hallett, Nick Taylor, Taekwon Glass. There's number one. I... Uh, I'm, I want to see the Canadian the Canadian kids on the edge, right? I want to see Patrice Rene, the first-year guy from the 2021 draft. And I want to see uh, Tyrell Ford, the first-year, the Bombers' first pick this year and his first year out of Waterloo. Those, those are the guys I'm cu- really curious to see. We've had some other guys kind of, you know, show up in camp, but it's been a pretty consistent, this is the first group, and then we'll see what happens with the second group with uh, Zach Hannibal, Javon Jackson, Jermaine Ponder, guys like that. Um, there. That's that place, that position, I think, for that five. Of course, they'll need a Sam linebacker with Mercy Maston's injury. But uh, that back five is is pretty solid. Nick Hallett would probably hold it down until Brandon Alexander is ready to return. So, but uh, who wants a spot in the practice roster could uh, could show us tomorrow. Just from a logistics point of view, do cuts have to happen between preseason games one and two? Yeah, so the the rule it was supposed to you know everything's changed, so let's not even bother with how how it was before it was changed. The day after your first preseason game, teams have to make their cuts, and I believe it's down to seventy five. Uh, the seventy five cuts was supposed to be earlier, but so by Saturday night, the Bombers will have to be down to seventy five plus their non counting players. So they'll have a, a fair number of players to uh, to unfortunately for them send home, and then they have to do it all again in five days in Regina. Oh man, that's uh, O'Shea. What uh, asked him about that today? Because you know it's Friday and then day off Saturday, Sunday, Monday, maybe walk through and travel and then play Tuesday against a team that's gonna you know have its starters in for at least a little bit in the Saskatchewan Roughriders. That's a short turnaround. He said, "Yeah, I've never dealt with this in the preseason. I we kind of don't know how it's going to go, but 
Uh, at least it's not in the regular season where you'd have to load up your starters, right? 60 plays a game and then 60 plays in the, in the game four days later. So they can, they can really preserve their starters because the important stuff starts in June. Well, Derek, hopefully we were still waiting to find out if, if indeed it has been ratified, but hopefully the answer is yes. And uh, we'll have the pregame show starting at five 30 tomorrow, right? That would be fantastic. Are the, uh, are the insiders on the national level sniping at each other on Twitter? No, it's been, it's been silent. So we'll see what happens. Voice of the Bombers, Derek Taylor, joining us every night on the CJB Sports Show. So, we are operating on the assumption that there will be football on Friday here in Winnipeg. And calling the action for the Elks, he's here in Winnipeg. It's Morley Scott, friend of the show for 630. Ched, Morley, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, Christian. How are you? Good. You feeling optimistic about things? I, I think I am. Yeah, I think I am. It, the general consensus seems to be that uh, the, the players uh, are going to ratify this, but we said that last week as well. But uh, this time it, it seems to be, I, I can't see them saying no. I can't see them taking uh, this deal to the players for a vote, not being pretty sure it was going to pass because if they, if they don't ratify two deals in a row, then they got some splaining to do. Right. So uh, we'll see where it goes, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty confident that we'll be uh, We'll be calling a football game. I had uh, I had supper last night with Derek Taylor, and we we're sitting at the table wondering if uh, we had two play callers, wondering if we're going to have a game to call or not uh, on Friday night. But it looks like we'll both be happy now. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping for that too because I'm I'll be on the sidelines tomorrow night for the game, and it looks like uh, the forecast might call for some rain, but who cares? It's football. I'll be fine with that. So, uh, what has been the main storylines in Elks training camp so far to this point? Quarterbacks, quarterbacks. It's all about the quarterback right now in Edmonton because they're really the only team that went to training camp this year not knowing who their opening day quarterback is going to be. I mean, everybody knows it's going to be Kolaris here and around the league. Maybe you pretty much know who's going to be the starting quarterbacks. But in Edmonton, uh, we're not sure. Uh, Taylor Cornelius returns after starting uh, seven games, I believe it was, at the end of last year. Uh, Nick Arbuckle is back. He, he was around for five games, but never got a chance to even dress. But he did play some games before that with uh, Toronto last year. And, of course, started a bunch of games with Calgary a couple of years before that, before the pandemic. Uh, those are the two guys who are, are the veterans. And, and then the story that I think has been, has been pretty interesting to watch is Trey Ford who is uh, the, the Elks' uh, first-round draft pick. They took eighth overall, their second pick in the first round, and he's had a really strong camp. Uh, he's a tremendous athlete. Uh, he's a good quarterback, and uh, he's going to get an opportunity to play a lot tomorrow night, I think, and uh, see what he can do. So that, that's been the story. Every day Chris Jones gets asked about the quarterbacks. One day, uh, about six or seven days into camp, he said, why does no one ask me about the left tackle? Why is it the quarterback every day? And, and it's just because that's, that's the story, man. That's the story for the Elks in training camp. Why did they sign Cardell Jones only to release him like right away? Uh, I, he had some time. I mean, he, he had uh, three days worth of rookie camp, and I think he was in the in five or six days of main camp. Don't forget, the Elks didn't have the strike. Right, they were on the field through that, and uh, I just think they they realized that uh, he wasn't going to unseed any of the three or four guys who were ahead of him on the depth chart. He hasn't played football in what three years, um, and it, it kind of showed. I think he was a bit rusty. Um, I, I, it just didn't. He, he did to me. He could throw a pretty good ball, 
but he just didn't look comfortable uh, throughout a lot of the, a lot of the training camp practices and scrimmages. And I just think they decided that it's not going to work out. Why wait till uh, why wait till two weeks from now to make the decision? Let's let's do it now and give more reps to the other quarterbacks because they have to make that decision. And I think they want to give as many reps as possible to the guys who have a chance to get that starter's job. Outside of the quarterback position, what have been some uh, main takeaways from camp so far? Well, uh, the takeaways is I, I think it's been watching uh, the defense uh, kind of take shape under Chris Jones again. I, you know, we're all at Edmonton used to seeing Chris Jones' defense and, and what kind of style he likes to play. Uh, but, you know, they're pretty much going to have a, almost an entirely new linebacking core and an enti- uh, entirely new uh, defensive backfield. And I think that's been the other story is, is where are the players and what, what's the mix going to be in there? There's not many veterans who are returning. Aaron Grimes is going to be there. And uh, Scott Hutter is uh, is uh, starting tomorrow night at the safety position, and those are the only really two returning guys from from that you know the, the back end of the defense. So uh, Chris Jones is rebuilding it, and he's bringing in guys that um, have that Chris Jones uh, uh, style. You know, they're they're long and lean and athletic, and and uh, he's he's trying to remake a defense that wasn't very good last year at times. And uh, it, there's going to be a lot of new faces on. It. That's been I think the other story. Uh, at, at training camp uh, for the Elks so far, uh, offense I, I think is pretty. Uh, you know they've they've made a couple of additions at the, almost the trade almost Ellingson coming here to Winnipeg, and uh, and Lawler uh, coming to the uh, the Elks in free agency. They uh, they brought back Darrell Walker. Uh, they brought back Jones. Uh, they have had uh, brought in Manny Arsenault, which is uh, who's looked pretty good considering. Uh, he's been he played arena football last year and has been out of the CFL game for a couple of years. So I think their offense is pretty set, but it's their defense that everybody's watching. Other than the quarterback on the offensive side, then it's the defense and how Chris Jones is going to put that all together. So Derek Taylor brought this to my attention when he was on the show about an hour ago. Jamin Pelly, who was picked in the supplemental draft uh, as a defensive mm-hmm. player out of Calgary, is listed on the depth chart for tomorrow night's game as a left guard. Um, yeah. what, what is that? Did you see that coming? Is that something he's been practicing at camp? Uh, well, uh, yeah, he has, but he, he was, uh, both him and cool Nelson, who was, uh, uh, the Elks, uh, first round draft pick last year out of the university of Alberta, defensive lineman. They have both been moved to the offensive line and, uh, Hey, Chris Jones likes to do that. He's moved guys around, uh, his entire coaching career in the national high in the Canadian football league. And it's been really successful for him in some points right um he's a guy who uh who sees a guy a body shape or a, a an athletic ability to play a certain position and if he's not playing that position he'll put him there uh, and i think pelly has he's got the body more of an offensive lineman and i think that's what uh, that jones what jones recognized uh, right off the bat and it hasn't been gradual i mean it's it hasn't been a surprise to them because he was there pretty much day one of rookie camp before main camp even started and then cole nelson moved over at uh, a couple of days into training camp as well so uh yeah no surprise but yeah it is it is interesting because he was pretty successful as a defensive lineman in uh in junior and in uh, in college football but uh, he's on the o-line right now Player who folks know here very well from his performance the last couple of years. Kenny Lawler got the bag, went to Edmonton, where he's expected to be a big part of the offense there. How has he looked so far at training camp? Really good. I, I tweeted out the other day, I said, the more I watch him, the, the more I realize he's a much better receiver than I thought he was. Uh, and, and I mean, he makes great catches uh, just in practice. I mean, he's made probably two or three 
really great one-handed catches. Uh, he's made some great catches in coverage. He's been a guy who uh, the fans that are at uh, practice watching, uh, they ooh and all a little bit about uh, Kenny Lawler because he does make those fantastic catches. So I'm, I'm very excited to see him play in the offense and, 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 and in a game moving forward out of practices. But, yeah, he's been a trait so far, and, and I can understand now more why he is uh, the uh, reigning uh, leading receiver in the Canadian Football League because uh, he's, he's got hands, that's for sure. Edmonton Elks uh, did a bit of a jersey refresh recently. Your thoughts on the new digs? I I don't mind it. I, I like them. Uh, you know, I'm uh, from from my vantage point. The only thing I would like to see, and I like to see on all jerseys, is the shoulder numbers. Right? They don't have numbers on the shoulders. A guy. A guy with a pair of binoculars in the press box doing play-by-play likes to see those shoulder numbers sometimes, but uh, I I like them. Uh, they're they're pretty sharp. There was a bit of a backlash though, Christian, uh, to the white numbers. Uh, people are are pretty traditional in Edmonton, and it had been gold numbers up until last season when they brought out the the new jersey, which wasn't really a new jersey for for the Elks. They just kind of took the old name off and put Edmonton on top of that, of that name because they were preparing to play even in 2020 as the Edmonton football team. So uh, that has a lot of people up in arms a little bit because uh, they're green and gold. But when you look at a Jersey, the only gold on it is a little stripe on the sleeve. You know, they they've got gold in the helmet and gold in the pants, but on the actual Jersey, there's not a lot of gold there. And I think people want those gold numbers back. I like the white numbers again, because it's all about me, right? I like the white numbers <laughs> because they really pop and you can see them better from the press box, but uh, they have, uh, I think people are, they don't like that, "Quote unquote Green Bay Packer look" is what what people say. Ah. Um, they, they like it. Uh, they, they like the Edmonton look, which would be with the gold numbers on it. So, uh, even President Victor Queek has uh, tweeted about it, answering some fans on on Twitter about it, and, and he agreed with them. He said he likes the gold numbers too, but it was a decision made before he got here. So, the, it's going to be white this year and for the foreseeable future. But I can see at some point going back to gold numbers eventually. I remember the St. Louis Blues a few years ago went from yellow to white on their jerseys and it it looks good but i I assume people will get used to it because that's what happens we we complain about things and then we forget about them because there's something else to complain about that pops up that is correct eventually something new comes along to make people upset right and they forget about what made them upset yesterday you're exactly right about that before i let you go morley just a thought on the battle of alberta from your point of view how's it been uh, going in edmonton with the 3-1 series lead you know what Christian, quite honestly, it hasn't been much of a battle. I mean, you go back to game one, uh, take the point where it was 6-2 for the Flames and then add up the numbers. I don't know. I, I did it, uh, I think, before game uh, game four, but I can't remember what they were. But, I mean, the orders have dominated from that point on. I mean, uh, they have really shut down the Calgary Flames. Uh, the Oilers star players have just been fantastic in this series. Contrary to uh, to what Kachuk says, there's more than one guy who's winning it for the Oilers right now. I mean, uh, Drysaddle's been fantastic. Uh, they're getting kind of timely goals from Evander Kane, who leads the NHL in goals. Uh, Zach Hyman's chipping in continuously. And McDavid's been out of this world. He's just been spectacular to watch. So uh, the key to me... For Calgary, they got to get their players going. I mean, they their best players, that's the old phrase, right? Your best players got to be your best players. Well, Calgary's best players aren't even close to being their best players. And the Oilers' best players are, are playing really, really well right now. And that's the issue. Uh, Calgary's got to figure out a way to get to get uh, Kachuk and, and all those guys who led them in scoring uh, throughout the season going because they've just been shut down so far since uh, since the end of game one. 18-10, the margin for the Oilers since it was 6-2 for the Flames in game number one. Thanks. 
is Thanks the math for on that. that for me. I got you. No, I got a whiteboard here with all the scores that I keep track of during the postseason so I can have quick reference on the show. So do you think they finish it off tonight or is it going to go back to Edmonton for game six on Saturday? I I think they finish it off tonight. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're going to finish it off tonight. Wow. Uh, if they don't, it might go seven, right? If you give a team, because Calgary's a good team. There's no doubt about that. They played really well all season long, obviously getting first place in their division. So uh, if you give them some life, they might be able to force it to a seventh game. And that is back in Calgary. So uh, who knows what happens at that point. But uh, that's still a long way away. Calgary's got to pick it up. Jacob Markstrom's got to play better, too. They, the, the owners have really handled him quite nicely in this series. Even, even in the game Calgary won, he gave up six and didn't look good. I mean, who would have thought? When they yanked Mike Smith in game one when it was 3 nothing, that uh, Jacob Markson would have been the goaltender who gave up the most goals in that game when push came to shove, right? So, uh, yeah, he's got to be better. Again, it goes back to the same thing. Your star player has got to be your star players, and it's not happening for Calgary. Well, I think Sportsnet probably wants Calgary to win tonight so they can have a hockey night in Canada on Saturday, but I know folks in Edmonton would rather have the weekend off and they can watch the West final yeah. starting next I week. Think, but... I, yeah, yeah I, think, I think Sportsnet would like this series to be a best of 13 if they can turn it into that <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I imagine the ratings are pretty good, at least in, in western part of Canada, because it's just captivated both cities. It's been, it's been fun to watch. I mean, the stories we're seeing uh, from Calgary matching the stories in Edmonton, it's, it's been great. And uh, Sadly, uh, a 4-1 series win for Edmonton is not much of a battle, and I think it really kind of takes the shine off what we were hoping to be a great series. I mean, they've had, in the past, they've had so many great series a long time ago, obviously, and that, that went seven games. But, you know, like they say around Edmonton, when push comes to shove, the Flames can't beat the Oilers in the playoffs unless the Oilers score in their own net, right? That's the only time they beat them. Well, that's something that we can pay attention to tonight because the series is not over yet. And if it goes six or seven, while well, the tension ratches up even more, morally appreciate your time tonight as always. Thanks for this. And hopefully we see you at the gate tomorrow night. Yeah. I look forward to it. Christian. Anytime. Talk to you tomorrow. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB sports show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from six 30 to 9 PM. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell, until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect, which might explain your disrespect.